0: So if you've been uh, with us for a little while, you know that uh, we're talking about uh, the way that life works, right? Um, Kind of uh, in four different columns, if you will, and we realize that uh, at the base of our life, at the foundation of our life, there are always some non-negotiable absolutes. They can be right or wrong, uh, but there are things that are at the base of our life uh, that we call absolutes, okay? And out of those absolutes uh, come our thoughts. Uh, Out of um, those non-negotiables, they begin to shape the way we think and the way we see things. Uh, We call it our traditions or our culture, but it's really the way that we think. And then out of that comes our uh, kind of emotional life, and uh, we become aware of the needs that are a part of our life and uh, causes us to uh, act in certain ways. And then finally, at the other end, is the choices that we make, or I just call it the program. What are we going to do? What are we going to spend our money on? How are we going to spend our time who are we going to choose for friends and all the rest of it. And so there's a, another way of looking at this. As you might say, the absolutes are our beliefs, okay? The traditions or culture are our thoughts, our way of thinking. Uh, the needs are our emotions, uh, the kind of the feelings that we have. And the program really is our choices, the decisions that we make. Just another way of looking at the same way that um, life works out. And so we're trying to identify some of the non-negotiable absolutes at the far end of that. What are those uh, absolutes that are non-negotiable for a God-first life? Uh, What are the non-negotiable absolutes? And so we saw first off that the Bible uh, is the word of God, right? And it is therefore the source of authority for a God-first life. And then we saw last week that sin is our worst nightmare, As soon as you open the Bible and you kind of uh, start to read and think for yourself, you realize that I'm in trouble because I'm uh, a a progeny of Adam and Eve, and sin is a part of my nature. Uh, I was born with a me-first, not a God-first nature. And so uh, I'm immediately uh, able to recognize that's our worst nightmare. Now, this morning, I'd like to suggest to you that um, our entire relationship with God is based on his grace. I'd like to invite you to think with me about the non-negotiable absolute called grace. And that God's grace, okay, is the only solution, the only solution uh, for a restored relationship with God that sin destroyed. God's grace is the only solution for a, a restored relationship with God. Nothing has the power uh, to actually uh, reverse the effects of sin other than the gospel, the good news of God's grace. Nothing gives us the freedom that comes to us through grace. Grace really is amazing. Grace is amazing. And I invite you to think with me about it. <clears throat> when Jesus was here, uh, you, if you just think about um, what you know from the gospels, you'll be able to... Um, Uh, obviously agree with this. When Jesus was here, he created a a radical contrast with his peers, a radical contrast. He was very different than his uh, Jewish religious leaders. The Pharisees were self-righteous, right? Uh, They were law-quoting legalists who focused on the letter of the law but missed the spirit of the law. Um, They were so opposite of Jesus. Jesus focused on the spirit of the law and really uh, offended people by the way he didn't keep the letter of the law. He created a radical contrast uh, with his peers. Um, he, uh, the the Pharisees were focused on traditions, uh, but they missed the absolutes. Meanwhile, um, John, one of Jesus' original disciples, okay, uh, John describes what was so different about Jesus. Years later, John sits down to write about his experience with Jesus. And in John chapter 1, in verse 14, he says, uh, the word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. What's so different about him? What makes him so attractive? What's so glorious about this Jesus? What's so different about him? We have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What was so different about Jesus? He was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and full of truth. And this uniqueness about Jesus is his glory. It's what makes him look so good. Uh, into this religious world of the Pharisees, of darkness with its demands and requirements and expectations, comes Jesus, who presented a revolutionary way of relating to God through grace. Through grace. Grace without compromising one iota of the truth. Full of grace and full of truth at the same time. A revolutionary way of relating uh, to God. And here's the thing. Uh, verse 16, uh, the word became flesh. And then verse 16 says, and from his fullness, from Jesus' fullness of grace and truth We have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace after grace after grace after grace. We have all received from his fullness. This is his glory. He's full of grace and truth. First we see it in him, and then we receive it from him. And grace radically changes people changes us. Grace is amazing. Uh, It changes our way of thinking. It changes the way we love. It uh, enables us to have compassion. It changes the way we see other people. Grace is amazing. And it changes us from the inside out. Uh, The Pharisees, Jesus' peers, pushed for a religion that focused on externals, on the letter of the law. There was no room for authenticity. Authenticity. The whole thing was about how we were going to present and how we were going to look and to be authentic and to be broken and to have problems and all of that, there was no room for that. And so the Pharisees presented themselves um, through the externals and it stifled this issue of grace. Uh, Following God in the Pharisee way of thinking was stifling. It was a duty. It was motivated by guilt, but Jesus came. And um, enabled us to have a joyous response to God's love expressed as grace. What a contrast. And so Jesus spoke to the heart, right? Jesus spoke truth and grace, which translated into freedom in people's lives. In John chapter 8, Jesus was talking. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is a freedom from sin that's to be had. Through the truth. And Jesus uh, spoke this truth and called it grace. So what is grace? What really is grace? Well, the word, if you uh, track it down, actually goes back to an Old Testament Hebrew word that actually means to bend or to stoop. To stoop down, right? Uh, It's the idea of a condescending favor. It's the idea of a kindness that's given and not deserved. It's to stoop down, an undeserved favor. Grace is extending favor or kindness to somebody who doesn't deserve it and who can never earn it or pay it back. And it's God's glory to be full of grace and to be full of truth. And so receiving grace from God always stands in contrast uh, to anything that we try to do for god or try to uh, have be accepted by god through works grace uh, and works are at opposite ends of the spectrum grace is always undeserved it's a favor that's being extended out of the goodness of the heart of the giver and it's always free to the receiver grace it's stooping down to give us what we need and it's always free To the receiver. And this, remind yourself, is the glory of God. He loves to give grace, He enjoys it. It's a thrill for Him to give grace. And uh, it's hard for us, okay, to accept grace. We want to earn it, we want to think of ourselves almost as equals and that we can find self acceptance. And that was really the basis of the whole uh, Pharisaical approach to a relationship with God. But if you follow Jesus around, um, you can see how grace played out from his life over and over again. If you listen to the stories that Jesus told, uh, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, if you follow Jesus around, if you follow Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's grace. They needed grace. They forgive them. It's a demonstration. Wherever Jesus went, he brought grace. Grace. And so what makes Jesus so different from any other spiritual leader is grace. And what makes a Christian different from any other religious person is grace. Grace upon grace keeps touching our lives, and it changes us. Um, You begin to appreciate your life more. You begin to spend less time being critical and more time being compassionate. Uh, We begin to be discerning about the things that really matter, about absolutes, instead of just surface kinds of behavior. Grace lightens our load. It shifts our focus off of what we do for God and shifts our focus onto what God does for us. We keep being touched by the grace of God, whether we know it and acknowledge it or not. How many times do we go back for the grace uh, that only God can give us? But here's the problem with grace. Grace is humbling. Grace is humbling. Uh, James talks about this in James uh, chapter 4, verse 5. He puts it like this. Uh, Do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God made a spirit, his spirit, to dwell in us. And when we don't embrace that spirit or allow that spirit expression through us, um, God gets jealous. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. And therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Uh, Resist the devil and he'll flee and all the rest of it. But God gives more grace. You know, grace isn't a one-time injection. It's not like a can of Red Bull or something that gives you a shot and then you're done. Um, grace is an ongoing um, need that, creates, that God created in our lives. And uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter talks about the same thing. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives Grace. To the humble. It's humbling to say, I need what only God can give and I can't pay for it. And I can't return it. And I can't earn it. It comes as a gift. Um, And so pride, of course, cuts us off from grace. And grace is the glory of God. Uh, The spirit of our day, of course, is humanism, the elevation of man, and it feeds our pride. It puts us at the center of the universe. Um, You probably have come across this quote at some high school or college graduation. I am the master of my fate and I am the captain of my soul, you know, and uh, that was written by one of the early humanists Uh, and we take pride, uh, you know, in our work or in our money or in our titles or our families or our power or whatever and uh, we're Americans. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and we're proud of it and so forth and so grace when it comes uh, as, uh, as a gift from God, uh, is oftentimes, you know, we'll say, okay, I need grace to be saved, but after that, I'm on my own. And that is such a misunderstanding of the Christian life. Uh, grace is an ongoing gift from God. God says no to all of that. He said, your greatest needs cannot be met apart from me. You are spiritually bankrupt. Please accept my grace, which I paid for in full, Uh, On the cross through Jesus. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to the uh, church at Rome, and uh, he's thinking about uh, a man by the name of Abraham. Uh, Abraham was from the past, as you know, shows up, and God meets him in uh, Genesis chapter 12. And uh, Abraham was really a great man. He's got a really impressive resume, Uh, he's a very significant figure in history, hardworking, very wealthy. But he grew up in a family that was given to idolatry. You can read about it in Joshua, uh, Joshua 24. And so uh, when it came to being righteous before God, he had nothing in himself and, um, that would ever earn God's, accept- God's acceptance of him. And so Paul's trying to make this point in uh, Romans chapter 4 to the Christians there. And uh, here's what he says in the first couple of verses What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, the guy with the great resume? Uh, all the wealth, uh, hardworking. What was gained by him? Our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Abraham had a lot to boast about in front of other people, right? Uh, in front of other people, he had a lot to boast about. And I, I think um, when you think about like that, other people will applaud you. Other people will um, recognize you. Uh, Other people will be impressed by what you do. Other people will give you credit. Maybe they'll even name a street after you or a a three-and-a-half-mile-long bridge uh, after you and so forth. But there's no boasting before God. Abraham had a lot to boast about before people but not anything before God. Uh, It's not any of Abraham's efforts but God's favor that causes him to find acceptance with God. God made him righteous on the basis of his faith. Paul goes on. He says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham uh, received from God a declaration of him being right with God on the basis of his faith. And it was a gift of grace that God gave uh, to Abraham. And it's the same grace that God gives to anybody who turns to him in faith. Now, to the one who works, okay, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as what's due. Right? If you go to work, the boss doesn't come and say, Well, I got a gift for you. Here's your paycheck. No. Okay? The one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings uh, to the one whom God counts, uh, to the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. God's economy is different. God works on an entirely different basis than what we're used to. Uh, God's economy is not a wage-based economy, but a gift-based relationship. Uh, we have nothing to offer God in exchange for his favor. And so everybody that connects to God connects in the same way, through grace, through God's favor, through God stooping down in Jesus Christ all the way to the cross in order to offer us this wonderful grace. Uh, the basis of grace is the free gift of a generous, loving God and all the other views are simply wrong and um, I want to say the password for access to God uh, is grace it's his glory he loves to give grace um, this, <clears throat> this past uh, Christmas we had Christmas at our house and uh, we had uh, all of our family that's local uh, at our house and um, you know uh, as usual uh, Barb was uh, receiving a number of really nice gifts, and she would open the gifts, and she would say thank you, and so forth, and and there was one gift under the tree that, you know, in our tradition, we kind of open a gift, and then that person gets to pick another gift to give to the next person, and that's kind of how we do it and go around with everybody, but as we were opening the gifts, some people would pick up this one gift, and uh, I didn't really know what it was, and Barb would look at them and say, not yet, you know, and so it made me kind of curious, and she was saving that gift, obviously, to the end, and so um, when we finally got around to the end, I found out it was a gift for me. And uh, I hesitate telling you this because I think you're going to make fun of me, but um, <laughs> uh, the gift was um, a Hess truck. You know the Hess trucks? Okay? And it was a, it was a uh, dump truck with a backhoe inside of it this year. And so the story behind all of that is that my dad um, had his own excavating business. Okay? And so I grew up around trucks and tractors, and all of that kind of thing. And um, she knew that that truck would be a trigger for me to appreciate my dad at Christmas time. See? And the whole time that this was going on, I was watching her face because she was way more excited about giving that gift than she was about receiving any of the other gifts that she got for herself. She was so excited about giving that gift because she knew how much it would mean, and uh, kind of the story behind it. And, you know, that's the way God is with his grace. He's so excited to give it, and and he looks forward to uh, us taking it and receiving it and living off of it. And uh, we receive out of the fullness of Jesus, who's full of grace and truth, grace upon grace upon grace. And eventually, if you accept and you keep receiving that grace from God, it changes you. And that's God's goal. He wants to change us to be like Christ. He wants us to be full of grace and truth uh, at the same time, just to be just like Christ. And so I don't think you can be a Christian for very long before you become aware uh, of grace, before we realize that we're we're grace conscious or grace filled. And uh, again, God is working toward that. He's perfecting our character by grace. By allowing us to have touches of his grace on a regular basis until we too are filled with grace and truth. Now I think you can see this in um, uh, the Apostle Paul's life. It's pretty interesting, uh, some of the passages of scripture uh, that talk about this. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, let me just read a couple of verses here, starting at verse 6. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, and he's saying... Uh, Then Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Paul's saying, you know what? I noticed that Jesus, after his resurrection, went to all the important people first Right? And he appeared here, and he appeared there, and he appeared to the greats, you know, Peter. He appeared to Peter, and he appeared to uh, James, and, and so forth. And, and, uh, and then last, I was last, he appeared to me. Um, and he, he appeared to me, and, and look how he talks about himself. Uh, he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born. In the Greek language, if you look up that term, untimely born, it means premature. It means stillborn. And Paul's talking about himself as somebody who was born spiritually dead. Last of all, and, and that's a scriptural truth, right? If you think of all the appearances of Jesus, the last one was on the Damascus Road uh, when he appeared to uh, Paul. And he said, uh, uh, goes on, he says, I- I'm the least of the apostles, right? I'm the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. (laughs) Paul's like, you know what? I was the biggest knucklehead there is. But by the grace of God, I am what I am today. And Paul, of course, the great apostle Paul, wrote half the New Testament or more. You know, I'm the least of the apostles and when you think about this, and you think about grace, I, I wonder how many of us would say the same thing. You know what? It's by the grace of God that I am who I am. By the grace of God, I am who I am. And uh, I think what happened here, um, so many of us are afraid to let the truth be known about us. We're worried about our image. We're afraid. You know what? If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. You know? And, um, but when you look at Paul... Um, He talks about his horrible, sin-filled past. He's conscious that uh, Jesus appeared to everybody else before him. He's last. And, um, uh, you know, Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles, uh, destroying the people that Jesus gave his life for. I'm I'm the biggest knucklehead. And then God's grace touched my life. God's grace bent low, stooped down, God offered me grace, and uh, Paul knew it was grace, right? That 10th verse, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, Paul shed his insecurity about his failures. Uh, By the grace of God, uh, Paul um, became secure. Uh, I would say to you that uh, grace was uh, Paul's silent partner. Uh, Grace was kind of like Paul's security blanket, if you will, It destroyed his insecurity. And the more we appropriate the grace factor into our lives, the more secure we become. And the more authentic we can be. Because it's not dependent on how great a person I am. It's dependent on how great of a grace-giving God God is. And uh, it's such a relief. And I think it changed Paul's whole life. Another place where Paul talks like this is in 2 Corinthians. And um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12... And uh, beginning at verse 7, so here's what he writes. So to keep me from being too elated, he's talking about Paul had these great revelations from God. He got insider, you know, truth about God. And so to keep me from being too boastful, too elated, too proud, uh, by the surpassing greatness uh, of uh, the revelations that were made to me, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Okay, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. And so, weaknesses, we all have weaknesses, right? We all get sick. There are several people who are very sick uh, this morning in the hospital. Uh, We all have annoying situations. We all have limitations on our life. We all have hurts that we wrestle with. What do we do? Well, we feel bad. We pray for God to take it away. That's usually the first thing. Just like Paul, three times he prays for God to take it away. Notice it comes from Satan. God allows it. God's got a purpose for it, but Satan's the instrument that makes it happen. And uh, sometimes we get confused about that, but God means it for good. And uh, what do we do? Well, you know, we pray. We complain. Uh, Maybe we take medication. I wonder if the Apostle Paul hit Dr. Luke up for some, you know, meds uh, that would enable him to not deal with the pain so much. Uh, But finally, notice what Paul does. He embraces the pain in his life. He embraces it. He hugs it. He says, oh, I realize God's allowing this in my life so that I can have more of his grace. I realize that when I'm weak, that's when I turn to God the most. That's when I depend upon him the most. That's when the grace, that's when I'm the most humble. And that's when the grace begins to flow into my life. And so I look what he goes on to say there. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now look at this. For the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Paul says, I'm going to embrace the negative things that happen in my life because I know that when I'm weak or when I'm in the middle of a calamity or when I'm being persecuted, somebody insults me and so forth, I'm never more at at a place to receive more of God's grace than that. And so I'm going to embrace the pain in my life rather than resist it and fight it. Now he prays to have God take it away, but when God didn't take it away, he said, I realize it's here for a purpose. And the Romans eight twenty eight you know, principle uh, begins to kick in. God causes all things to work together ultimately uh, for our good. And so embracing the pain, you know, how did he do that? Well, he depended on grace. God gives more grace. And remember, more grace flows to the humble. And we're never more humble than when we're weak and when we're broken. And uh, Paul says, you know, he embraced the pain, the insults, the hardships. You know, it's okay that we have weaknesses. It's okay that we have vulnerabilities. It's okay. Uh, grace enables us to admit our struggles, our limitations, and recognize God's purpose. Um, how about the way that grace oils our relationships? Again, the Apostle Paul is writing, and in Colossians chapter 4, And verse 5 and 6, look what he says about grace. Grace oils relationships. Okay, conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be saturated with grace. Uh, For a Christian, um, every encounter with another person is an opportunity, right? That's the way. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders. We need wisdom. What is the better part of wisdom in dealing with people? Um, Well, let your speech always be gracious. You know, and uh, think about this. Uh, We want to be wise. We want to use wisdom. And wisdom says always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Salt probably here means uh, taste, you know, to add taste or uh, what we would call maybe in a conversation tact, you know, in our conversation. Uh, Salt can also add a zing. You know, we can drop a a truth in the middle of uh, our grace-filled speech. Uh, Grace gives the benefit of the doubt to people. Grace is kind. It's accepting. Grace is winsome. Uh, Somebody said one time that tact, okay, in a conversation is like a girdle. Uh, It enables you to organize the awkward truth with more attractiveness. (laughs) I thought that was clever. It enables you to organize the awkward truth. The Bible says it like this, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Uh, Grace is really the outcome of biblical love. Uh, And I think a good sense of humor adds a lot. We can laugh at ourselves, laugh at life, and so forth. Uh, Again, grace is um, what oils relationships. You know, every time you start the engine of your car, there are form-fitted metal parts that begin to grind against one another as the oil pump in your car rushes to send a a bath of oil through the arteries of your engine. And it takes about 11 seconds before the fresh oil can make it to these parts that are uh, grinding against each other. And in those 11 seconds, it's been said that um, um, about 500 miles of wear and tear happen on your car in those 11 seconds, before the oil can get there and bathe those parts so that they can get along. And, and um, really, uh, oil is, uh, or grace is the oil of um, relationships. Uh, all of those metal parts were made for compatibility to get along with each other. It's what makes your engine work, OK? And it's not until they're bathed, however, in oil that they can work at optimum uh, levels. And the same thing is true with people. You know, a grace-filled marriage is a smooth-running marriage. A grace-filled friendship is a friendship that lasts a long time. Grace is the oil, you know, that lubricates relationships and keeps people uh, from destroying one another, people who were made uh, to be compatible And then finally, if I could, uh, just uh, one more. In um, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, I would say, uh, and nobody knows for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, there's some really great advice that says, listen, never give up on grace. Never let your focus be off of grace. Um, And it's a kind of an interesting, it was happening back then and it happens now. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 7 Uh, puts it like this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider uh, the way of their life. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. I'm amazed at all the different weird ideas that people come up with uh, about religion and about God. Don't be led away. Back in that day, there were strange teachings, and in our day, there's a, a plethora of um, strange teachings. And look what he says. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Don't ever let anybody. In fact, the more grace is appropriated in our lives, the quicker we recognize false ideas that come our way. Because our whole rela- non-negotiable absolute. Our whole relationship with God is based on grace, and uh, the more we recognize it, the easier it is to recognize what this passage of Scripture calls strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. You know, one of the big things back in that day, and we could go and show this, but um, uh, food meat that was offered to idols it offended some people, and they wouldn't eat it. And other people said, "An idol's nothing." And, of course, we can eat the meat and, and not worry about it. And, and so those two groups of people would fight amongst each other. And uh, you can read about it uh, yourself in, like, Revel, uh, Romans 14 and in Corinthians and so forth. But there's no end to strange teachings. You know, last October was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation of the church, the Protestant Reformation. And one of the major issues was grace because the concept of grace had gotten corrupted. And was twisted around. And, uh, you know, the the, the minute you try to add anything to grace, you diminish it. If you say my relationship with God is based on God's favor to me, but in addition to that, I'm going to add this or that or the other thing to make it better, you destroy grace. And that's what had happened. And it had gotten so twisted around that there was this whole revolution about it. Grace is so unique. It's so counterintuitive. It's such good news from God. Uh, The more we receive and depend on God's grace, I think the more you can recognize phony teaching. So somebody said this. Let me close with this. Love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. Love that stoops downward is grace. We have all received from the fullness of Christ grace upon grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're so thankful for the Bible, thankful for the Word, but boy, are we thankful for grace. We confess that we would be totally lost and way out in left field with no hope if it weren't for grace, your goodness, reaching down and bringing us favor. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to cement this in our hearts and in our minds that grace is a non-negotiable absolute. It's the basis upon which our whole relationship with you depends. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we appropriate your grace, as as the fullness of the grace that's in Jesus rubs off on us, that we would allow you to change us, that we too might be full of grace and truth, and that while we are most gracious, without compromising any truth, we could be exactly like Jesus, in whose name we pray here this morning. Amen.